You know, we've been preaching through this sermon series of Kiss by Judas, how, how Judas came so closely to Jesus and he betrayed him. And when you've dealt with deep pain, atrocious pain, the things that have happened to you, it's, it's unbelievably hard to forgive or begin that process of forgiveness. And last week we began to talk about that process. How do you begin to forgive someone that has hurt you deeply? How do you forgive Judas? Well, what happens when you are Judas? What happens when you're the one that is felled? Here's what I've recognized about Christianity. Christianity is a continual life of repentance. I'm so thankful for scripture because the truth is you look at scripture and you begin to analyze and dig into the lives of these disciples. I want you to see for just a moment what takes place. We've been talking about Judas and how Satan entered his heart and he entered his heart through a place of vulnerability and insecurity. Here's what I want to tell you today. If you are going to fail, let me ask you this, where would you fail? There is a great danger in not knowing where you would fail. To assume you are incapable of failing is absolutely dangerous. But there is a vulnerability in all of our hearts that the enemy enters through. And he did with Judas. And when you trace back the life of Judas, you would see that Judas had a hunger for greed and for money. And so he betrayed Jesus based off this greed. The enemy attacked this greed. He betrayed Jesus for money. But that's not the only disciple that fell. There's the disciple who fell out of greed and there's the disciple who fell out of fear. You then have Peter who walked so closely with Jesus. Peter had a moment of failure as well. But there's a difference between both their moments of failures. And the truth is, I'm not sure it really matters what they did. It's what they did after they fell, that makes the difference between these two people. Both of them took detours. Only one of them had a restored path. See, Judas, when, when, when he fell into this deep betrayal, I understand what it was to feel like Judas. Judas, he is, begins to drown off of his shame and guilt. If, if you have ever fallen, you understand what it means to fall than to be haunted by shame and guilt. Have you ever been there before? Well, you have fallen, and I'm talking about, you, you wonder whether it's worth even living. You wonder if you could come back from it. You wonder if God can forgive you. You wonder if God could even use you. You wonder if you are still loved by God, still seen by God. Can I be used by God? And let me just tell you today, you don't fully understand what Judas felt like unless you have fully understood what it means to fully fail in a way where you feel like everything is absolutely broken. Have you ever been there? And I just want to tell you this morning, straight from the top, that we don't only serve a God who can cover the shallow, um, appropriate social sins. We serve a God today who can go to the depths of our brokenness and dirtiness. And even there, he is still working and meets us with grace. 
And my encouragement for you today is not to normalize or minimize anybody's sin in this room, but this to help you to understand is failure is almost inevitable. We are human, broken people who function out of a broken heart sometimes and insecurity, and we are imperfect. And scripture says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The great thing about our God is he doesn't categorize our sins with this hierarchy of sins as if one sin is harder for him to redeem than another. He covered it all on the cross. He has covered, you want to get this, which just blows my mind, he has covered the mistakes you'll make tomorrow. You want to talk about the depths of his love, he has covered the mistakes you will make next week, next year, for the rest of your life. It is covered. It is finished because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Nonetheless, we still have to deal with the earthly consequences of sin, which often produces more brokenness, guilt, and shame. I'm talking about guilt and shame like Judas. You know what Judas did? He was so filled with guilt and shame that he began to listen to the guilt and shame. The guilt and shame began, became the filter to which he would make all of his decisions through. Judas put on a new filter, and that filter was his failure. He put on the filter of his failure and made decisions for his life through the filter of that failure. And what did he do when he made decisions through that filter of his failure? Scripture says that he took his own life, that that he was so wallowing in shame and guilt and probably disgusted with himself. He couldn't believe it. And he was thinking, how do I make the shame stop? How do I, how do I make the guilt stop? How do I not hear that word? And I just begin to drown. I'm in a fetal position. I'm just so broken. I'm sick of the feeling of shame. And so he took his own life so he can stop the feeling of shame. The problem is, is he allowed the enemy to write the rest of his story after failure. But here's another great example in scripture. When Peter walked so closely with Jesus, had this great Three moments of denial, this great failure, and what Peter did was different than what Judas did. Two different failing characters today, both failed, let me get that very clear, both failed. Both failed, one took the path into his own hands and listened to the enemy, one did something totally different. He failed, but then after he failed, here's what he did, he broke down and wept and he grieved over his failure. Let me just tell you something. God does his deepest work in our soul when we recognize we are broken and in need of a savior, a redeemer, and a restorer. What Peter did in that moment is I could only imagine, I'm sorry, I am broken, I was scared, I didn't know. You know, it came to my heart of vulnerability and insecurity. He weeps and cries. You know what blows my mind? If you're in this room and you think that you, God cannot use you because you have fell too greatly, and if you think you are disqualified from being used from this great creator and this great savior, let me give you great biblical encouragement. Peter felled and he felled greatly. And in fact, every time he heard the rooster crow, it reminded him of his failure. Can you imagine that? Jesus told him this would be the correlation. When he hears the rooster crow, it's a reminder that he was a failure. Can you imagine he had to wake up every single morning and hear the rooster crow and be reminded of his moment of failure? Can you imagine carrying that with you? Some of you hear a word and you 
And it makes you uncomfortable and the enemy begins to whisper to your heart and to your ear. And this is amazing because in this moment of failure, um, many of you have seen wind vanes. Um, uh, the early church would put wind vanes on the top of churches. You know what the wind vane is. They would put the church and, and uh, uh, the wind vane on a church and, and it was a rooster on the wind vane on top of Catholic churches. And when these churches had wind vanes with the rooster, it was a reminder of Peter's failure. Can you imagine? Would they have a museum about your failures? They need a lot of museums for me, but could you imagine? And so they began to put this as a reminder, don't fail, don't fail people. And it was a reminder of his failure. When the Reformation come, came, the rooster was a sign. The sound of the rooster, the sound of the crowing was a sign that it's a new day. You went from shaming him with the wind vane to the Reformation that says the sound of the rooster represents a new day. So Peter went from the sound of the rooster being a moment where he was reminded of his shame to the sound of the rooster saying, God has fully forgiven me and I am fully forgiven and I am fully free from my sin. And what happens, watch this, it doesn't just stop there because you can say I am forgiven and that's it. But our God is so good, it's like you are forgiven. Now watch what I do through your life. Because you have surrendered the pen to your life, you have admitted the mistakes of your life, watch how I make great edits because I am the great editor. He takes Peter's life. Peter in chapter two of Acts is used to, to preach and birth the, the church, the New Testament church. God uses a great failure to birth the New Testament church. Peter gets up to preach and you can imagine he preached with a different passion because he knows what it means to fail. He knows what it means to be human and he knows what it means to taste the grace of God and what he tasted was good. And so when he gets up to preach, he understands I'm a failure. I'm not, I'm broken, but man, he is good. And let me tell you, you have to believe about this God. You know what happened when Peter preached? 3,000 people got saved and God used a failure. You know why? Because his failure was not final. But you have to understand that you can't write the rest of the story. When you try to write the story, it led to failure. Give him the pen and watch him write something miraculous. But there's a path that you have to choose to take. If you have failed, here's the danger. I'm, I'm going to draw this because it's easier for me to, to put out here. And I'm not an artist and I'm not a great artist, but... Let's pretend this is your heart and just we use. The, okay. I'm trying to do something. Be serious, guys. I'm joking, but, but so, so let's, let's, I'm going to use myself as an example. Um, uh, the, the two ways the enemy would get me is through my vulnerability as a man is insecurity and, and affirmation. Uh, there probably is not going to be a pastor you won't ever meet who just has the insecurity of affirmation, wants to be liked, wants to be loved. Therefore, the enemy uh, will attack through th these areas of my life where I'm looking for affirmation. And so um, he will use um, Affirmation is an idol for my life, but he will also destroy me with it because he knows I need affirmation, and so I seek it in people, but sometimes people don't always give you affirmation. They give you other stuff, 
and call it Holy Spirit led. But anyway, they, <laughs> God led me to tell you, you are not good enough for, okay, <laughs> you listen to a little G God, but they attack through the brokenness of my heart and, and the enemy attacks. Therefore, um, this moment of failure comes through the door of my area of vulnerability. Here is the danger is that when we fail, it begins to, it spills everywhere if we don't take care of it. Let me give you an example. Uh, If you were to fall, let's pretend you failed. Let's just put for the sake of clarity. I want you to think about today. And I don't mean this lightly. I know we had a a lighthearted moment and laugh, but I want to switch gears. I want you in this room to think about today your greatest failure. You know the thing that I, I unintentionally say sometimes from the pulpit that just grabs your heart and makes you uncomfortable and I don't know what that is? Or when you see something posted online or you see the word, when you see that word, it just brings so much shame in your life. Think, think, about, the thing, think about the thing that overwhelms you right now. Here's what happens. That thing. Let me show you how the enemy works with that thing. That failure begins to tell you a story. And that failure begins to tell you that you are not worthy. And it'll even haunt you in your prayer life. I don't know if you've ever prayed and you got on your knees and you're seeking God and you hear something that's so self-condemning and you stop praying. You're like, was that God? Was that me? Or was that Satan? You ever been there? And you just don't know because you're hearing the stuff that's saying you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you're a mess up, you couldn't do that, you're not this, you're not that. And there's all this stuff that's filtered through the voice of our failure. And very quickly, side note, if you ever want to clarify the voice of God, you have to see if it matches up with the word of God. The way you discern, is it the voice of God, you match it up with the word of God. And if it doesn't match up with the word of God, and it's probably not the voice of God. He, the enemy grabs a hold of that failure and he just drowns you in shame. You know what this is like, right? There's shame, there is guilt. You disqualify yourself from life. You barely get by, by to by, day by day. And you just think, I'll just do a little bit, but I won't do what God's called me to do because I'm a failure. So I'll sit over here and you begin to write your own story and you're barely making it. And you're just drowning and overwhelmed with this shame and this guilt. And you can barely get out of bed and you're so embarrassed. How could I do something like this? How can I struggle with this? And then here's what happens is that you take that failure and the enemy does this when things go wrong my car broke down it must because be because I sinned so God has punished me I can't get a job right oh it's God is punishing me or I can't do this God is put and you begin to tie everything in life to that one moment of failure as if we serve a God of karma who is out to get you back for falling God is not interested in chasing you down, humiliating you to shame you. God's heart is not to shame you and remind you over and over of your failures. God's heart is not to make you feel disqualified from life itself because you failed. And some of us in here who are legalists are like, you're being too soft, pastor. I prepared for you today. It's interesting to me. I meet legalistic people who are like, you got to tell them. And and, and they don't like grace until they need grace. 
it's interesting when you meet people who are just so feel like they're so morally perfect because they never messed up before. I'll come across them and thought, you know what? God's been kind enough not to expose their heart to them, but one day their heart will turn on them and they will be broken and they'll need the very same grace they're trying to keep from people from receiving. And so let let me just share with you, um, you don't know um, the, the, the depth of God's grace until you have fallen and it transforms you because it meets you to it meets you in dark, 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 dark places. And even there, he he is. And so this failure begins to chase us, and we think that everything is tied to our failure. My marriage is bad because I wasn't perfect before I got married. My, you, you guys get it. And 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 let me just let me free you up today with a passage. Let me free you up because I believe um, that the Holy Spirit places in here for us because He knew that we would need this. Paul in Romans chapter seven. We're going to be in Psalm thirty-two, but I want you to hear this. Paul in Romans chapter seven, verses fourteen through twenty-five, begins to make these statements. Here's what he says. He says, I don't understand why I do the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I want to do. You ever felt that way? I don't get my heart. I try, God, and you know I'm trying. I'm fighting, God, and I have a moral standard and I just can't reach it. And I function out of the brokenness of my heart and there's insecurity and there's vulnerability. When the enemy throws a bait in front of me, I just go grab it, God, and I grab it because there's this brokenness in my heart that I haven't acknowledged and therefore he's abusing me through it. And I take responsibility. I'm making the decision, but God, I don't know why I'm trying. I feel worthless. I feel useless. I can't do this Christian thing, it's too hard, so I might as well not do it. And the enemy begins to attack through that, and he attacks and he attacks, and I love what Paul says. He's just like, look, I get it. I try to do the things that I know I should do, but I can't do it. And you can almost hear the tone in his voice. The scholars do not know what his sin was, which is almost good, because we can just go ahead and place our sin in there. You know that? Thank you for being general, God. You knew how to come back to this text and place all kinds of sins in here. But that's how good God is. So this, I don't want to normalize your sin, but this brings some normality to where you are not alone in this struggle with our flesh. Listen to what he says. I don't do what I want to do. I don't do the things I want to do. I, when, when I want to do good, he said evil is there. When I want to do good, evil is there. I want to do good and evil is there. Evil is real, evil is there. And that's what you have to understand today. Acknowledge that evil is real and evil is there. Acknowledge that Satan has no grace or mercy for you and wants to take you down and wants to go for the juggler. And he is very patient with you. He will plant a seed in your life in private and he will expose it in public. He will make you fantasize about a moment of pleasure and he'll turn it into a mistake of a lifetime. That's what he wants to do in your life and he will do it slowly and he will be patient with you and and he will keep doing this and he will keep wanting to break you down and then you will feel like you are so unworthy. Paul understands this, by the way. In verse 24, chapter seven, he says, wretched man that I am. This word wretched means I'm miserable. Here's what he's saying. I am miserable because the, the flesh and the spirit keep fighting and I keep failing, then I have a victory, then I lose and a victory, I'm miserable. I'm miserable. And then he says this, who will deliver me from the body of death? Who is going to save me 
from this. I'm miserable. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. I know what to do, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. I know from right and wrong, but I do wrong. And imagine if he just stopped there. Imagine if Paul was preaching a sermon and said, I'm a wretched man. There's sin. God bless. Have a great Sunday. He'd be like, uh, what are we supposed to do? You turn the page, next chapter, next chapter, Romans 8, verse 1. He makes a pretty powerful statement in one verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, when you see therefore, you have to ask yourself, what's that therefore? Seriously. No, seriously. Anytime in scripture you see therefore, look back to the text before and ask yourself, what's that therefore? He put therefore in saying, I'm, I'm a sinner, wretched man. Therefore, because I am imperfect, therefore, there is now, right now in this moment, no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Here's what he says. Christ has covered my shortcomings. This word condemnation is a legal term that he uses in the Greek. This legal term means that um, the punishment has to fit the crime. And this is what we do when we fall. We punish ourselves. We keep ourselves in the prison of unforgiveness until we think we can let ourselves out. The problem is we never let ourselves out. And we keep telling ourselves why we're unworthy. We keep telling ourselves why we're horrible. And we look at ourselves through the lens of our failure instead of through the lens of our Savior. When you look at yourself through the lens of your Savior, he acknowledges the sin, sees the sin, and says, but there's no condemnation because you are in me. I have paid the punishment, so stop punishing yourself. Set yourself free. So what's the sentence for someone who has failed? The sentence has been placed on Christ. There is no sentence once you are in Christ. But the key is being in Christ so you can be set free. This word condemnation is the equal punishment fit the crime. Martin Luther, a great theologian, when he would fall and he would sin, um, stories say that he would get this whip and he would beat himself, self-mutilation. He would beat himself with the whip over and over and over until he felt like what he did wrong equaled out how he punished himself. And he would wallow in this shame of guilt and shame. And this is what we do, maybe not with the whip, but we do it with our words to ourselves. We whip ourselves verbally with our words. And we hold ourselves in this prison of unforgiveness. No condemnation today. This is great. This is fantastic. But still, how do we get here? So let's break the text down seven verses and we'll be done. Okay? We're going to zoom through this. Here we go. If you're asking yourself, how do I forgive myself and live in this state of forgiveness because of who Christ is. Here's what he says. I want you to see the psalmist. We're going to see seven verses. The first two verses, he is giving you the fruit of being forgiven. He is helping you understand this is the life I'm living. And let me tell you why I'm living this life. He said, blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I want you to know this word right here in the Hebrew means that he is at total peace and total happiness. We use this word blessed today differently in our American culture. We see someone with a nice house, nice bank account, nice car, and we say, aren't they blessed? Well, let me tell you something. You can have a nice car, nice house, a nice bank account and not have peace and not be blessed. Just because you have money doesn't mean you have peace. Just because you have stuff doesn't mean you have peace. 
And so what he is saying is, blessed is the one who what? Who got a raise? No. Who got a promotion? No. Who got married? Y'all answer that. Blessed. I'm too smart to fall for that. Bless, yes, bless the one who got married, okay? Let me clear that up. <laughs> bless is the one, the, this person is happy. They are at peace. And I want you to see something here because this happiness and this peace comes from a relationship and right standing with God. We contend to think that more stuff brings more peace and happiness. More stuff doesn't bring more peace and more happiness. So this relationship and this peace and this happiness is tied to his right standing with God. Listen, blessed, happy, whole is the one whose transgressions, this is sin. Put your failures here. Whatever this is, you can write them out on your own time. What are my transgressions? You can write them there. Is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. Sin, here's all that means. You miss the mark of God's holiness and God's standard. Here's what he's saying. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Let me be something very, make something very clear here. You cannot have your sin covered until you have uncovered it. You cannot have your sin covered until you have uncovered it. He is not talking about blesses the one who knows how to live a double life. Blesses the one who sins in, in private, but nobody knows about it. A bless is the one, that's not what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Bless is the one who has uncovered their sin and allowed God's grace to cover it because that person is no longer ruled by the sins of their past or present. They have put it before God. He is the judge and he has ruled. And so what he is saying, bless is the one whose transgressions, whose sin is covered. This cannot be covered until it's uncovered. Listen, here, here's the great thing about God. He will not let you sin in peace. This is his kind, full grace and conviction on your life. He will not let you sin in peace. He will have your favorite restaurant's food not taste the same when you're living in sin and trying to get away with it. He will not let you sleep in peace when you lay your head on that pillow. He will not let you take a vacation as far as you can go and think you will vacation like nothing's ever happened. He will allow you to be miserable on that vacation as long as you are trying to cover your sin. Because what he is trying to do is set you free through your misery. I will make you miserable so I can set you free. I will make you miserable so I can set you free because I want you to be free. So here he says, blessed and forgiven. Happy is the man who go, whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Let me just tell you, the most free you can be is before God and be fully forgiven. When you are fully forgiven before God, you are fully free. When you are fully free and forgiven, you get all the affirmation you need and it doesn't matter what everybody else says. And so what he is saying is, look, who cares what everybody else says, as long as you are clean before God and there is no deceit, you're not living a double life and trying to trick God because you're not going to trick him, you will be free and, and blessed you will be. Now, this sounds great, to live free, to live fully free, to not have to waste a Chick-fil-A meal because you're sinful. You get the point. Right? And, <laughs> oh, poor baby. <laughs> Hungry. Hungry. 
Her Chick-fil-A, you got hungry. <laughs> Give that baby some Chick-fil-A. I know it's closed on Sunday. You're my lemonade. So, so listen, listen, let me take this through. So he is saying, man, listen, and, and scholars believe this was, this, was, this was David. And so I just want you to think, oh, this may have been a little bitty shallow sin. No, 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 no. Scholars believe this was, this was David talking about his murder and his adultery. And here's what he's saying. Bless is the man. You know, people often say, Pastor, how, you're too transparent from the pulpit. Aren't you afraid? No. No, no, I'm not. Because, because my failure is not who I am. What he, do, what he did on the cross is who I am. That gives me my value. That gives me my worth. Not, not the mistakes I made. That didn't give me my worth. What he did gives me my worth. And so when I know that I am confessed and I am not perfect, but I can say I am fully forgiven, y'all can say whatever you want, man, I am eating my food and it tastes so good. My head is on my pillow. Life is good because there is no deceit in me and I am fully forgiven and fully free. But for those who are hiding their sin, can't say the same thing. You can't say that until you have tasted of his greatness and grace. Do you know that no matter what your greatest failure in this room is in here today, the thing that has haunted you, here's what I want you to picture. I want you to know that moment or moments of failure, he was there. And he loves you. He loves you. He's not ashamed of you. You're not disqualified. He loves you. And he is forgiving he loves you. When you don't love yourself, he loves you. This is who God is. And his love is transformative. I don't know if you've ever been broken in your failure and you even wanted to take your own life and you tasted of his grace. You wake up every day and you're thankful for his grace. You don't wake up with the Christian swag like you've done something so great and you deserve all. You wake up grateful. Because you're so grateful that he's such a good God and he didn't give up on us. He didn't wipe us off of the face of the earth because we failed. And that when everybody else left us because we failed, he was still there. That's why he's good. And so what he is saying is, man, you are blessed when you have tasted of this God. Then he says this, now let me tell you what I did. I kept silent and I tried to hide my stuff and my bones was wasting away. Life was miserable. He did not let me sleep and eat in peace. You know, psychologists say that when people don't self-forgive or forgive others, that it it impacts you um, psychologically, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. You are drained. It gives you health issues. And so what he's saying here is like, I had sin, do not play with sin. Kill sin or it will kill you. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. God did not let me live in peace. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. He's saying life was miserable. Then he says this, but here it is right here. If you want to set yourself free um, before God, he sets you free. But if you want to be free, here's what you do. Here's what he says. I acknowledge this is simply putting your sin on the table. Okay. You and God, I'm not saying go to 
social media and start getting your stuff out. I'm not saying, do, do, not, do not give your pearls to swine. Do not give your pearl to swine. This text right here is between you and God. You've already experienced the Judas. Don't let another one in. This is you and God. Let God bring the healing. You and God, you bring every sin before God. This means you sit down, you write it to him, the things that you have been ashamed of. You have to go through this process to understand. You have to, you have to let your heart know what your mind already knows. Your mind says, God forgives me. You say, I haven't forgiven myself. So there's this divorce and disconnect. You have to begin to think through your mind and not only your heart because it's deceitful. I acknowledge, this is just acknowledging. This is put it on the table, my sin to you where I came short and I did not cover it. I, I uncovered it when I acknowledged it to you, God, my iniquity, okay? He said, or watch this, I will confess. There's a difference between acknowledging and confessing. There's a difference between acknowledging, confessing, and repenting. You can confess without repenting. You confess when you're full off the sin. You repent when you're tired of it. When you're full off the sin and you feel shame, you want to leave you, you just confess, but when you're hungry, you go back to it. This repentance is, I'm not gonna eat it anymore. So you can confess without repenting, right? When you get full off sin, you're confessing. So he's saying, I confessed it. I owned it. Here it is. I am telling you everything. My transgressions to the Lord and you forgave me. When I did my part, you did your part. He's talking about adultery and murder here. I don't know what you have to bring to the table, but this, I'm confident will cover it. I'm very confident the cross has covered it. So, then he says this, you almost hear this, blessed is the man. He's like, listen, life is good right now, y'all. It's like he's sharing this testimony and we don't know what he's done. And then he says in verse, uh, verse three and four, but life hadn't always been good because I wasn't a good boy. I messed up, I messed up bad. But I gotta tell you, I plead with you. I plead with you. It's like he's telling us this, I plead with you. Therefore, what's it there there for? We just saw what it's there for. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Watch that this is amazing. You are a hiding place. He went from hiding from God to hiding in God. Hiding from God because he was so ashamed of his failure from hiding in God to say, I'm, here I am, here's all of me. Here's all to preserve my life, God. I don't wanna fail again, God. Please help me, please, 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 Father. Let me walk closely with you. You, you want to avoid failure, hiding God. Now we're human, so we're not gonna be perfect, but hiding God. He says, you preserve me from trouble. You surround me, watch this, this is good and we're closing and we're done. I know I said it four times, but we're really going to be done right here. It's just too good. The text is too good. Not to, look, watch this, watch this, watch this. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. What is this? He was set free. He was delivered from the shame, from the hiding, from the self-condemnation. He was set free. The failure was still reality, but he said he has shouts of praise. Can you imagine a murderer, an adulterer coming up here and just praising because he is fully free, knowing that God has fully forgiven him. He is saying, I am delivered. I am free. It doesn't count against me. He still has a plan for my life. Life is good. I am so grateful you gave 
gave me another chance. And I don't know what this guy is singing, but I'm sure the shouts of praise of this deliverance is coming from a place in the heart to where he didn't sing from before his failure. I did San Quentin prison ministry for quite some time and I would go into the prison and we'd deal with lifers, guys who were in there for the rest of their life because of murders or all kinds of stuff. And we would go in and we'd play basketball and at halftime, um, I'd give the devotion or other people would. And let me tell you something, I came across Christians who were in prison for the rest of their life who were more free than people um, who are outside the prison doors in our world. I came across lifers who who tasted the grace of Jesus Christ and were so free that the prison bars didn't determine their freedom. But I've come outside of the prison and recognized that there are Christians who don't understand that freedom and they have prison bars all around them. Do you believe that God can forgive you? You want a taste of that forgiveness? Uncover what you've been covering and taste of his grace. His grace. 